Good morning, church. How is everyone today? Enjoying your Memorial Day weekend? No? Yes? Thanks for being here today. I wanted to, before we got into the message today, I wanted to take some time to honor um, those who have served. And so if you have served in our military or armed forces, would you please rise? Thank you. Please stay standing. Stay standing. Sorry. And then if you have lost a loved one for their service, would you please rise? And then I'd like to pray over everyone. Lord, we come before you and we thank you so much for the incredible sacrifices of these families and these men and women. And Lord, for those who are still here with us, we ask that you would walk with them and we thank you for the incredible gift that they have given as they followed in your, set, in your footsteps and walked in such a way as to give their lives for us. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Thank you. So, when we think about Memorial Day, I tend to think a lot about those who have served, the gift that they have given to us, and what that means for future generations. And I came across this quote from Ronald Reagan that I'd like to share. It says this, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. I agree completely with that quote because it is not something that is passed just down easily. It is something that we have continued to have to fight for and sacrifice for for future generations. And as I think about that, I think about our own faith. I think about the faith that we have that we want to pass on to our children. And I think about the fact that it's not passed on down the bloodstream. It takes work and sacrifice and prayer to pass our faith on to our kids and their kids and so on. So as I was thinking about that and contemplating that, I thought, well, I should go to Scripture, and I should see what does the Bible say about family relationships and how that works. So if you would go with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 25. We'll do 25 to 27. Luke 14, 25 to 27. And this is going to be Jesus speaking. We'll have one sentence that kind of shares what's going on and then what Jesus says. So let's pay attention and see what Jesus calls us to do. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. <laughs> what? Um, I recognize that it's hard to love people sometimes, right? And sometimes it's hard to love our own families well. 
Um, but, but Jesus is telling us it's okay to hate our family and not just telling us, he's, he's telling us to hate our family. So that doesn't sound like the God I know. <laughs> huh? And you know, sometimes, like, has anyone in here ever been mad at their family? So like right now we feel real justified, right? Like, well, I got that right. Yes. No, so when we stumble across scripture that we go, I don't... I don't understand what this is saying, or this seems to contradict something I know. We need to go back to Scripture to explore and find out. So, since this Scripture was in one of the Gospels, I say let's look at one of the other Gospels and see if it reads similarly and if it gives us any other clues on what Jesus is trying to say. So go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, starting at verse 34. on page 1464 in my Bible. Sorry if that didn't help you. I just love saying that. All right. Matthew 10, 34. Do not suppose, so this is Jesus speaking again. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. So again, pretty darn similar. Like, what are you saying, God? Like, it's okay for us to be upset with our families? Continue reading. Verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Oh, I get it now. So he's saying very clearly, we got to love him first. We love him first, and then we love those around us. And if we are loving those around us more, then it's going to be very hard to love them well because we're not loving him first. Has anyone ever heard the greatest commandment? Does anyone know what that is? Greatest commandment. It's found in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, verse 36. So again, this is Jesus speaking, and he's speaking to Sadducees and Pharisees, religious leaders. And he says this, a teacher, so one of the, people around him asked a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So this is what God calls us to do. If we want to be vessels or agents that God uses to pass faith on to future generations, We've got to love God first. We've got to do that first so that we are in a place where we can truly do that well. And we'll kind of explore that in a little bit as we go on. There is a quote from a book that I was, I haven't read this, um, but I was reading an article about this book, and I would like to read it. Um, But this article was talking about, this book did 40 years of research, four decades, and they tracked families in passing on the faith. And they had this to say. One very revealing and challenging insight is the importance of what the study calls parental warmth. 
for the transmission of faith. Those children who remained in the faithful fold as adults had parents who were consistent, unconditionally supportive, and active role models of love, respect, and patience with their children and their faith development. Is that easy, parents? Piece of cake, right? Man, like our kids never make us angry. <laughs> okay. So we recognize that to live that out well is extremely hard. So two points before we move on. First, I want this to kind of be the undergirding framework for everything else that we talk about because it's one thing to just pass on knowledge and God can use that knowledge and help kids come to faith. But more important than that is the mode with which it's delivered. And if it is just a rigorous, I'm holding you accountable kid who's a sinner, you, kids can still come to faith. That doesn't mean that they won't, but the transmission is harder. But when it is surrounded and enveloped by parents who are consistent, unconditionally supportive, and active role models of love, that speaks way more than the information that you share. Does that make sense? What you do says a lot more than what you say. And parental warmth is a huge part of that. Now, I recognize that living that way is incredibly hard because we're sinners and there are times that we get upset and frustrated with our kids. And so this is a reminder that we've got to learn to abide. We have got to allow Jesus to be the one who produces that fruit in us because there are gonna be days that you are not happy with your kids, right? Kids, have you ever had parents who were upset with you? And sometimes you don't know why, right? You just kind of walk into a room and a parent starts barking, get your shoes off! Oh my gosh, okay. Sometimes parents have bad days too. So if we want to pass on our faith well, we've got to learn to abide. And that's why this is part of our series, and this is the last week in our series of living independence being in a state of dependence on God because we need him to help pass on the faith and we can be the vessels. So um, I started thinking about what is a great scripture that speaks to passing on the faith. So if you would go to Deuteronomy 6, we're gonna read a bunch of different stuff out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6, and we'll go 1 through 9 first. Um, and I would encourage you, if you do not bring a physical Bible, I'd love for you to bring a physical Bible. I think having apps and stuff on our phones and stuff, excellent and great, but there is nothing like learning how to actually hold one of these things. And I'd love to like hear lots of pages when I say, hey, let's turn here, instead of bloop, 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 bloop. I'd love to hear. Just, just a side comment. All right. Deuteronomy 6, starting at verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live, by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now listen to this next one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The greatest commandment. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God is telling the Israelites that their faith has to be primary focus. Their faith has to be one of the central things that their family gathers around. Now, I recognize that today, that can be very hard to do. Um, I'm a youth pastor, and I work with students all the time, and I am amazed at how busy they are. And I've learned that often it's starting in first or second grade. Like, parents are like, oh, you want to play sports, or you want to be a part of this or that, and are those things bad? No. Those things are great. I played sports when I was growing up, and look at me. <laughs> so <clears throat> sports are great for teamwork and for character building and becoming a good loser. <laughs> um, or all those things, like, they're great for character development, and we want those in our lives. But all too often, we get so busy with the sports, the sports stuff or the other things, whether it's um, drama or music or bands or art, all great things. But Satan knows that if he can get us to focus on all these good things and our faith be less of a priority, he's winning. And we as families have to gather our family around the primary focus of Jesus is our Lord and Savior. So what we have started doing in student ministry is talking to families about wanting to encourage them to never choose the less. Never the less is a phrase that we've started using because we recognize that there's all these options and there are great options, but we don't want students minimizing their pursuit of Jesus and their growth in faith for all these other good things. Now I recognize that being a believer and being very active in other things is totally possible. Has anyone ever heard of Tim Tebow? He is incredibly faithful and an amazing disciple of Jesus Christ, but he's reached the highest level of sports. That's really impressive. I would say for most of us, that's very hard to do. It's very hard to maintain that type of laser focus on a specific thing you're pursuing and keep a laser focus on Jesus. We need help by his spirit to make our faith a priority in our families so that we are talking about it when we drive in the car. We are talking about him at meals. We are going to worship together. We are prioritizing him over everything else. And I know today, in today's world, again, that's very hard to balance. There's students that I know that if they want to play sports in high school, they have to be on club teams. Is, is sports in high school great? It is. But the challenge of doing a club team and a high school team and doing other stuff, you're so busy that when you fall in bed, you just fall asleep. Or you hope to. Sometimes you lay there awake because you're so stressed. Students today have so much going on. 
So how do we pass on the faith well to future generations? I have a couple things that I'd love to talk about and discuss. So first, um, pray together. Does anyone pray together at meals? Pretty simple and easy, right? Um, Does any of the students or children in here know the common table prayer? Speak up. Start saying it. Good job, this section. So, common table prayer. Awesome, simple, easy way you're praying with your kids. Does anyone ever pray at night with their kids? Again, something that you kind of go, this isn't that hard. Um, We pray with our kids every night, and so Owen is three now. And within the last week, he was praying. And so each of our kids takes a turn praying, and sometimes they go through phases where they're like, I don't want to pray. And we're like, why? It's just talking to Jesus. I don't want to pray. Fine, well then just say something you're thankful for. And they just, Jesus. You know, just pray, thank you, Jesus, for Jesus. Okay, so Owen has been hearing this his entire life. And so he's three, and so he was praying the other day, and he was like trying to eat carrots as he prayed. So it took a very long time. But he prayed, they'd been at McDonald's earlier that day, and he prayed, dear Jesus, and thank you for helping Savannah and me be evil. And I was like, to be evil? <laughs> what? what is going on in your life, son? And apparently, Owen and my eight-year-old Savannah were the bad guys. And they were chasing Riley and Skylar. And so they just had a blast, and he enjoyed that fun fellowship. And so he just was very thankful for the chance to evil. So I say all that to say it's a blessing to just take time every night, pray with your kids, and have them pray, not just the rote prayers, because at some point in your life, you hope that they will be comfortable and feel confident enough to pray around other people. On Sunday nights when we have dinner at student ministries activities, we don't start dinner until a student prays, right guys? Some of you students that are sitting over there? Right? Yeah? And so sometimes, we wait a couple minutes. <whistles> Food's getting cold, y'all. Let's pray. Who wants to pray? And then someone steps up, and we pray, and we do it. But I want students, by the time they get to seventh grade, to be comfortable just saying a prayer to God. Because it's not like we're going to go like, <laughs> you just prayed to Jesus, and you did horrible. <laughs> We're not going to do that. We're thankful every time a student prays, and there's not like they do a bad job. They speak from their heart. They say what they're thankful for. Let's do this. Praying with your kids. Second, anyone tried to do devotion with their kids before? Devotions? When I was growing up, we kind of did that, sometimes okay. So normally it would be like, man, we did devotions three times this week. Nailed it. And then like two and a half months pass, and we go, hmm. We need to get back to that. Has anyone like had a hard time like being consistent in devotions? I think it's a fairly common thing. And I think normally Satan loves that because he wants us to struggle with prioritizing that time. So I have two suggest- three suggestions to how to help with family devotion time. And please realize this is not something that I am perfect at. Okay. 
Um, first off, we've taken a devotional book. We have about three or four that we sometimes cycle through, and I've put them near our kitchen table. table. So they sit on top of our fridge, and whenever we are having meals together, when I see it and I remember, we grab it and we have devotions. So sometimes we do that on a fairly consistent basis, and there's plenty of times that we're eating late or we're busy doing stuff, and I forget. So, number one, trying to put it somewhere where you see it so you can do devotions as a family. Number two, my brother started doing this, and I had never heard this before, but I thought it was really cool, and we have implemented that and at times done it very well. But he takes a verse of scripture, and he teaches his kids that verse the entire week. So every night for a week, he reads that verse, he prays it over them, they discuss that verse, and it's a way that they can really understand and hide that verse in God's heart. So it's memorization and it's taking time to prioritize learning scripture and walking with God. So that's a second option. Third option is we here at church, for those who are members and non-members can have it too, um, is Right Now Media. Have any of you guys ever used Right Now Media? We try to encourage some of our um, life groups, et cetera, to use it, but they have tons of kids stuff tons and tons and tons of quality kids resources. And so if you have some young kids at home or grandkids and you want them to watch some stuff, instead of putting on Netflix, there's tons of kids stuff that speaks scripture or teaches valuable lessons to our kids. This is the third way to do it. On top of that, we have opportunities um, to be participating in children's ministry here at FOC. We want to remind parents that they are the primary youth pastors in their homes. Parents are the ones who are the primary ones who pass on the faith. Those of us here at church who either work here or volunteer are the, the support for families. But please do not forget the awesome stuff that we have gone, going on here at church because this stuff can change lives. There was um, a story I heard there's a man who grew up and his family went to church occasionally. Um, there were times that he would go without his parents and do youth group stuff or children's ministry stuff, but he went fairly regularly at certain parts of his life, but faith was not a priority at home. On Christmas Eve, they would read the night before Christmas, but they wouldn't discuss the Christmas story. Sometimes they would go to church and hear the Christmas story on Christmas Eve, but it was not any type of a, we the parents are passing our faith onto our kids, it was more of a, well, we'll go and do that. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. This man went to these things as he was growing up, and then he went to college. And while he was in college, he had to take a class on religions or faith. And so that started creating some questions inside him. And he also met and started dating a young woman who was a strong believer, and she started talking to him about faith to the point where he it moved from a just knowledge, yeah, I know who God is, and just kind of a mental ascent thing to a, no, I want to follow Jesus with my life. He is my Lord and Savior. That man was my dad. And so his family was not strong in the faith, but children's ministries and youth ministries were a huge part of my dad coming to faith. So we need to have these strong ministries at our church so that even the families that do not do a good job of nurturing the faith in their homes, which let me tell you, it's hard and it's difficult, but God wants to use 
parents and all of us to help kids' faith grow. Let's read a little bit more from Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord your God has commanded you? In the future, when your son asks you, that's what happens when your kids get older. The prayer is that as kids grow up, as they become older, as they have this strong foundation of faith, they grow up and they start to ask questions. And that's really important because that is a sign of kids starting to develop and own their own faith. And if they are pushing back and they have doubts and they have concerns and they don't understand stuff, that is great. It's not always easy. It's difficult. But God can speak truth in those situations. God can use scripture and other people to help those students understand that this is who he truly is. That's one of the reasons why we do confirmation. Seventh and eighth grade, it's the opportunity for students to confirm their own faith, confirm their faith, because it is them stepping up and saying, yes, this is what I believe. We want to surround our students with other adults besides parents who understand and know the difficulties of walking through your faith life and understand the difficulties of being a teenager that God can then say, I'm placing this adult right here so that they can answer these questions, okay? So children's ministry, student ministries, other adults walking alongside. And then the other important part about this passage, so I'll read it verse 20 again. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord your God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible upon Egypt and Pharaoh, his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. When a student approaches you and says, I don't get this, explain this to me, that's adults' opportunities to speak the truth of what God has done in their life. Moses tells them, talk about what happened in Egypt. Tell about what you went through. So parents, what have you been through? Where has God seen you through difficult times? What has God done in your life? Tell your kids those stories. Tell the stories about how you struggled and how you came to a stronger faith, how your faith deepened. The other thing that we need to remember is that passing on the faith to future generations takes all of us. It takes all of us. It is not something that just happens just like that. It doesn't get passed on through the, down through the bloodstream. When I worked at a church, when I was able to serve at this church in Arkansas, um, it was a retirement community, and a lot of the families that were there, I often heard phrases like, Jeremy, we've done our time, which almost sounds like they like escaped prison or something. Jeremy, we've done our time. We served like that back then. Like, yeah, we did our time. Thanks for asking. 
And so what I want to encourage us as a congregation today to consider is you're never done serving. You're never done. And you're never done being part of the team to pass on the faith. Now, that doesn't mean that you always serve within student or youth ministries, children's ministries. I understand that. God sometimes says, I want you to focus here. I want you to focus there. So listen and be obedient to that. But he does say that all of us are called to be a part of passing on the faith, whether it's with our own kids or the other teenagers that we're around or whether we're helping in children's ministry. We all are a part because God needs to use us to pass on the faith.